Guys, before we get into the podcast, I want to remind you, we're brought to you by Manscaped. Manscaped, thank you so much for keeping us gentlemen on the podcast looking pristine. Jingle balls to the walls, fellas. Listen up. Untrimmed pubes are a thing of the past. It's not the 1980s anymore, okay? I promise you, your lady friends will like you more. The holidays are right around the corner, so do your dad, do your brother, or even yourself a favor. Go out and get the Lawnmower 2.0. This revolutionary company... Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their lawnmower 2.0 has advanced skin safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your family jewels. You're going to be buying presents sooner or later for your loved ones with Christmas right around the corner. So do yourself a favor, go save a few bucks. Use code DYNASTY for 20% off. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Use code DYNASTY for 20% off. Yo, yo, welcome, welcome back to the Dynasty Pulse podcast. I'm your host, Austin Abbott, and I'm paired with my colleagues, Nick DeGroo and Alex Clayton. What up, everyone? What's going on, boys? Today is Wednesday, December 18th, 2019. We're on to episode 14, and on today's episode, we have our first ever special guest. He's a writer for the Dynasty Nerds. Shout out, Dynasty Nerds, real quick. He's a Debbie writer and a ranker for Debbie Factory Football. But most importantly, he's a massive New York Jets fan like Al over here, also known as at DynastyFF underscore Kyle M. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Kyle Matthew. We're happy to have you, brother. Hey, what's up? No, thank No, I appreciate you. Appreciate you. I talked some Dynasty. It's been a little bit. Been a little bit. I've done a podcast. And I know we've kind of, you know, back and forth on Twitter for a little while. So, you know, it's cool to, cool to finally, you know, sit down and just like talk up with you guys. For sure. For sure. Any big plans for Christmas, man? What do you guys usually do? Usually, see, I'm a I'm a Florida resident, but usually what I do is we have we have some family up in New York, so usually you know, around you know 19th, 20th, I head up, spend some time with the family, and head down like right around New Year's time, like college football bowl time. So you know, fun time of year. Yeah, man, oh, that's awesome. I mean, probably wish I wish I was in that weather right now. You know, I went to school down there for four years too, but I was at St. Leo University just just to let you know, like right over by Tampa, so. But yeah, those four years were. Really yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, those four years were great, man. They were so much fun. I, I miss it. I really do. Today we're gonna dive into a few topics. We're gonna cover building a successful dynasty roster, 2020 draft talk, and lastly, some of our favorite guys moving forward, some breakout candidates, and some players that may have a bounce back year. All right, let's get things going. We're gonna talk about how to successfully build a dynasty roster. So this is something that Kyle, I know you have a ton of experience with, and we really want to pick your brain here. Tell us, you know, we, we really want to hear some off-season moves that you made that truly helped you this year already and in the long term in Dynasty. Yeah, and I, I know uh, specifically you tweeted out, like, back in October, like, start of the season, uh, that your main Dynasty team, a 12-team league, you had Saquon, Dalvin Mixon, um, Amari Cooper, Devontae Adams, Keenan Allen, Keenan Allen Juju Evans, DJ Moore, and George Kittle, dude, that's that's absolutely that insane. How the hell did you land? Who do you play with? Yeah, dude, I I'm I gotta know how you pulled this off and and what what the key is to to building this kind of roster. Also, do you got a spot open in that league, man? It yeah. sounds you're just running, dude. I want friends like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, see, see that league. That's my 
that's my that's my prize possession right there. And I'm in the I'm in the championship league. I'm in the championship yeah. week in that league. And it, that league that's like a little different animal because that league has no trade deadline, like none. And wow. I'm actually trying to collusion. Pull, pull some stuff off right now. <laughs> See, see, collusion. No, not, not, <laughs> not quite, not quite. Don't tell my league mates. No, but um, because I, I have I have Dalvin going on Monday night. So what I'm actually trying to do is in that league, I'm trying to pull Dalvin plus. I'm trying to you know shock the league for McCaffrey. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to Ooh. just set the whole league on fire. But yeah, that one, that league's actually, I think three other dynasty nerds writers are playing that league. So it's not like not total scrubs I'm playing up against. Right, right. But, just well, kind of looking at a few. I'll start off with just like a few key offseason deals, and then I'll kind of hop into the like kind of how I build a, a dynasty roster. I would say the one, the two that really stand out to me from this offseason. Um, first one was Christian Kirk and a late 2019 first. I think it turned out to be the 111. See, this is just kind of off the top of my head, but it was Christian Kirk and the 111 for DJ Moore and a second. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And wow. it was uh, it was the 2018 111. So that was actually that was actually two. It must have been right, right. Oh yeah, no, 2019 111. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was that was kind of back when, you know, DJ Moore was getting some hype. He was obviously like a crazy breakout prospect, crazy spark score, but he wasn't really getting the recognition he deserved. And then you kind of take a deeper look into the prospect, and you look at okay, after his rookie season, you know, the number of players to have. Know these qualifications. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what it was off the top of my head, but it was you know a certain amount of yardage, certain amount of receptions before turning 22. And that list was like, you know, Odell Beckham, Juju Smith-Schuster, um, Amari Cooper, Mike Evans. I mean, it was literally just stud, 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 stud. Saquon Barkley was on there, which was kind of wild. And then <laughs> you get to the very last name, and it's DJ Moore. And that was after his rookie season before he was getting a lot of hype. And I was like, okay, this dude's literally 21 years old. He's associated basically in any analytic that you look at with studs. I'm making a move for this guy. So that's probably been, that was probably my second biggest trade this offseason. The first one that is the reason I'm in the championship is I know I'm a huge, huge Darius Geis truther, but I gave Let's up go. Darius Geis. Oh, yeah, no, it was brutal. It was brutal. It was brutal <laughs> to do it, but wait, wait till you hear it. Wait till you hear it. It was Darius Geis in an early 2021st. It's turned out to be the 102, but I don't even care. Darius Geis in the 2021 for Dalvin, Leonard Fournette, oh and Will Fuller. Oh, my God. That's robbery. That is yeah. robbery. And see, that was that was back when see, Fournette just came off a disappointing year yeah. where he was having all the trouble with you know the Jags organization. Ow. Dalvin <laughs> was just an injury-prone dude. And then Will Fuller couldn't even get on the field. And I was giving up. Darius guys who, you know, young guy with upside, and then that first. It was like, that was prime off-season time. Yeah. So this dude, just, you know, obviously picks are, you know, peaking in value. So that, that I'll, I'll say that's that's the reason I'm in the title game, but it's been, I definitely had my fair share of bad trades, but that's probably the one that has me here right now. See, at the time, how do you, how did you feel about, um, you know, both injuries uh, to Dalvin and to Geis? How did you feel about those players um, coming into that trade? See what what I kind of saw it as as I I like guys so much that I'm just I'm basically blinded at this point, basically blinded by love. He could like he he could do. No I'm the same all. way, dude. <laughs> I really am. Back at that time, back at that time, I was just kind of hoping that 
you know, okay, he's had this injury-riddled past, but he didn't struggle too much with injuries in college. What I'm kind of hoping from him is just a productive start to the year, and even if he goes down with another injury, I at least know the talent's there. You know, by the talent, if he gets injured, there's nothing you can do. He's my guy. I'm going to trust the talent. Mm-hmm. With that, when I bought him, my original plan was, what I had in mind was, okay, if this guy goes down early in the year with an injury that's, you know, maybe season-ending or serious, this dude's dynasty value is going to tank. Like, absolutely tank. Yep. That's all he's done since he's been in the league so far is get injured. So my plan was once I bought him, okay, give him, you know, three, four weeks. I expect him to have a pretty big start to the year and then sell him because I thought the injury was kind of coming. And, you know, like, that's that's easy to say in theory, but then when he starts giving you, you know, 30 points week one, 31 points week two, 28 points week three, you know, on and on and on, it's like, okay, maybe I... Maybe I might kind of just hold on to him. Yeah, tough to sell at that point, dude. And he, he's, been, he's been my stud. Yeah. Yeah, but my question for you is, uh, so you invested, obviously, heavily in Dalvin uh, and Fournette. Uh, so did you, like, also invest in Madison as a backup? And also, like, I, I know you had to be, like, like, even remote, like, were you even remotely worried that, like, Fournette would come back and do what he's doing right now? Like, no one could have called he would have got this many receptions. Like, that's nuts. Oh. All right, well, starting off with Madison, I'm a, I'm a huge, huge draft capital guy. So the second I saw Madison go with that day two draft capital based on, you know, Dalvin's injury history, I was like, okay, I want this guy in every league. And I actually put out a piece this offseason saying that Alex Madison was my number, like no matter, look, at, it doesn't even matter, like consider all the studs, consider anyone else, he's my number one buy based on price. So he was the dude I was targeting the most. I had him on the team with Dalvin. It's a real shame that I held on to him all season and I might not be able to use him in week 16 when Dalvin also might not be able to play. But yeah, like he's he's still someone I'm buying up just because that draft capital. He's been awesome this year. And then um, Fournette, I would love to sit here and say, yeah, yeah, man, I I totally saw that one coming, but I'd be lying. <laughs> no I, way. <laughs> I honestly, I honestly just thought. I mean, I read the reports about him being targeted more i never expected this i honestly it was kind of a similar thing with dalvin i'm i'm always so scared to invest in running back in dynasty i just want to churn i just want to get a couple productive years and then churn them out for younger assets but gosh it's, it's so hard it's so much easier in theory like i said with dalvin when you're contending and you have a top five running back it, you you can't trade him away yep. so yeah yeah 100 out with these two let me let me ask you this if you could give one piece of advice, you know, one statement to the whole dynasty community on just rebuilding in general, what what would be what would that one thing be? What would that one piece of advice be to to tell them? See, do you mind if I break the rules a little bit and make it three really quick tips that I kind of live and die what, by in dynasty? Whatever you want. It's even better. Okay, so this is this is kind of how I break it up, like how I build my teams. First off. What it is is by far the easiest way to gain value, whether it's the off season or the regular season. Is, I mean, this is this is simple in theory, but in the off season, everyone wants those young assets. Like no one cares about vets because you know the regular season is months and months, but it seems like years and years away. You just want like you know the next shiny toy or whatever. Yep. So in the off season, when everyone's when everyone's buying up those young assets, when you know, when the 103 is going to be worth more than, uh, I, I don't know, 
when, when the, I'll say when the 108 is going to be worth the same as Julio, something like that. That's when you sell you sell those young assets, you buy the veterans. It's just, I mean, it's like clockwork. Just keep doing it in the offseason. Wait till the regular season comes around. And then basically what you're looking at is, okay, I acquired these veterans for way cheaper than I should have been able to. Now I'm going to sell them for way more than I should be able to. Once the regular season comes around, when everyone wants to contend, no one cares about tossing an extra second-round rookie pick into a deal or a late first-round rookie pick into a deal because everyone's contending. You know, so so let's say hypothetically it's the off-season and you sell, um, you know, a late rookie pick for a guy like Julio. Let's say you sell the 108 for a guy like Julio because the 108's worth so much and Julio's worth nothing, not as much because everyone wants these young assets. Wait till the regular season rolls around. Oh, a contender wants Julio. I'll sell you Julio for the 102. And obviously, not everything can be that, like, you know, cut and dry. Yeah. That's basically the basis of it. You know, up and down based on trends. Um, another big one for me is just a lot of. It's, it's hard to say waiver wire activity, but just try to be a step ahead of the game. The first one, the first step I just mentioned is the most important for sure. But this one's just kind of be active on the waiver wire, sell high on waiver wire ads. Let's say add a guy off the waiver wire after a big week and package that guy and a third round pick for a second round pick. Mm-hmm. And then let's say you take that second round pick, snag someone else on the waiver wire. You know, just be a step ahead of the game, be active on Twitter. Oh. You know, um, Josh Jacobs is nursing a shoulder injury. Boom, DeAndre Washington added. And then, you know, the rest of your league mates who aren't as active find out an hour later that Josh Jacobs is going to be missing time. Hey, Josh Jacobs owner, like, I have DeAndre Washington. I'll toss you home in a third for your second. Boom. And then as the season progresses, you know, you pick up Raheem Moser because you see on Twitter he's getting more run. Hey, I'll give you a second, a third, and Raheem Moser for your late first. I mean, you, you just turn a third into a first with some Twitter, with, you know, just being active on Twitter, working the waiver wire. And last kind of thing is easier, again, easier said than done, but just just do do your own research. Dig into these players. Find your guys. I mean, we're going to kind of get, we're going to get into these guys that a little later in the episode that I believe in. I'm going to give you reasons why I believe that they're going to bounce back. But if you trust your ability as a dynasty owner, buy those guys and as time progresses like as you put in the work and you research these players research trends you'll find that you'll win more than you lose event at some point i mean i've made some terrible trades but i've also made the dj Moore, fortnet dalvin cook trades that you guys were talking about as time progresses you'll find that you'll win more than you lose if you put the time in so you know i, I would say those are probably the three things i love to dive on yeah, man, that's some awesome advice. No, that was, that was really, really well said. Um, I really liked your uh, idea of just adding a ton of veterans and then just selling them off to everyone in the beginning of the year. I never really thought of it in that perspective, to be honest. I mean, that's just, like, just very aggressive and ahead-of-the-game thinking. So, yeah, I mean, like, for example, like, I have John Brown right now. He's coming off, like, an unbelievable season for Buffalo. Like, he's... 30 years old like I don't even want on my team anymore just and then like people see what he did last season and then you just immediately sell him get a second or third round pick I would even be happy with a third I mean the dude's gonna you know eventually die out he's not gonna be good forever yeah no exactly I mean a couple weeks ago 
for a, for a contending team in need of you know a mid to low end wide receiver two, you're you're selling John Brown for a second pretty easily. Then then let's fast forward a couple months and it's March, and everyone's reading about how all these rookies that are going to be able to go in the second and third rounds are going to be you know steals. I mean, if if you can pull a late third for John Brown, you're going to be lucky. And it sounds it sounds wild, but that's how it works. I mean, it's just. It's fluctuation. It's up and down. It's you know buying when it's low, selling when it's high. So yeah, for sure. I mean, all that sounds pretty good to me. Um, honestly, yeah, dude. I mean, I can't argue with any of those points, and that's definitely something you know a lot of stuff to to live and die by uh, when building a successful roster, for sure. But don't you feel like? Uh, I mean, everyone's dynasty leagues kind of have, like, their own personality kind of thrown on a team. You try to get players that you, like, you know, want to get, like you said before. But, I mean, when you're building, like, a dynasty team, let's say you bought into a league and you took over, like, an awful, awful team that was just completely ne- neglected by a terrible owner. Um, you know, starting from scratch, I mean, like, I know you brought up the veterans things, but wouldn't you say that, like, it's, uh, like, don't be afraid to, you know, be aggressive and, do one of two things like collect a bunch of draft picks or you know go out there and make that aggressive move to you know gain like gain some centerpieces and build it your roster off that yeah yeah no just kind of talking about if i'm if i'm snagging a north roster and i see that okay this team's pretty terrible it only has you know one maybe maybe two years left of contention i'm just going to go all in i'm selling young players i'm I'm buying up, you know, the Larry Fitz is a wide receiver three, like Frank Gore for depth, Carlos Hyde is a running back two, like if I really need to, I'm going all in. And if, if this or- orphan roster is like middle of the road and I'm thinking there's no way this team's contending, I'm I'm selling off. I'm just saying, you know, you want to be on either side of the spectrum. You don't want to be lingering in the middle. Just I'm going all in for the rebuild. I, I got two quick questions for you, then we'll move on. Um, one, how many leagues are you in total? I'm just curious. See, this this is a this is a per, this is a little thing that I, I don't usually talk about too much on Twitter, yep. but just like a, a weird thing of mine, and I don't know why, I am actually only in one dynasty league. Wow, God, same dude, literally. And I, see, I don't know why I like it so much better like that, but and I, I'm in a couple of redrafts with like one friend, one family, like your typical stuff. But yeah, I've been in multiple dynasty leagues before, and. I just, I don't think it's quite as, it's not as fun for me if I'm managing multiple rosters. If, okay, let's say, I don't really know how to put this, but let's say I have Juju starting on one roster and I'm against him on another. Yep. You know, I, yep, yep. I, I want to I be able to go all out for my guys, like no halfway. Like if, if I have Juju on my roster, I'm like, that's my dude. I'm always just kind of, you know, if you're not my guy, then I'm not rooting for you. But that's just that's just kind of my mentality. So I'm actually in just in one dynasty league and the the usual mandatory redrafts with friends and family and stuff like that. Yep, I'm I'm pretty similar. I'm in three leagues total, but I completely get that man. Worst feeling ever when when you got your guy going and you're going against him in another league. Worst, literally the worst. Um, lastly, last question I want to ask you before we move on is. How hard was it to move on from Darius Geis? You know, moving on from one of your guys, I know is literally the worst feeling ever. Like, you would have to pry A.J. Brown or D.J. Moore or Calvin, oh, I've Rid- tried. I've or, tried. Or Calvin Ridley out of my dead body. Like, I, I literally refuse. Like, you could overpay. I know you mentioned before about that ridiculous overpay, but, man, it's going to take something like that 
to get me to give up one of my guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, honestly, man, it it hurt. Like it did. It actually hurt. I mean, it lost some it sleep. Was, thought about it at night. Kept you up, right? Oh yeah. I mean, right when I traded him away, I was like, okay, this is like a great value deal. But if Darius guys blows up week one, I'm literally gonna jump off the bridge <laughs> yeah. because like, and I, I kind of, I was kind of like, all right. Are kind of all right with the idea because what I've kind of found since I've hopped onto Twitter is okay if I hype, if I kind of say a player is my guy and I trade him like away on off of my roster but I'm kind of still talking on Twitter about okay you know Darius Geis is my dude DJ Moore is my dude and the player like proceeds to blow up. It's I'm not getting totally screwed because okay yeah I'm upset because I traded him away. But, you know, I still am right on, on Twitter. Like, it's still like, oh, you know, another hit for me. So, like, that feels pretty good, which kind of sort of what makes up for the pain of trading away my guy and blow up. Yeah. No, I totally get that, man. Um, we're going to transition into our next topic. Some early 2020 draft talk for y'all. Um, I truly can't remember a time where I've heard of a class that's been so unbelievably hyped up. By the media, you know, like this class is, I'm just gonna be so disappointed if if they don't live up to the hype. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, in in one of my dynasty leagues, I've been stacking first rounders, first round picks for a while now, for several months. Um, I know Nick is loaded in our in one of our dynasty leagues. Yeah. Uh, how many first do you own? Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm currently in a rebuild, like you t- kind of talked about before. Uh, I kind of went all in on the rebuild. Um, I, I chose a couple of guys on my roster that I really wanted to build around. I have uh, Nick Chubb, Stephon Diggs, and Devontae Adams. I really wanted those guys to be, like, my core moving forward. Um, you know, last year I drafted DK and Preston Williams. They've been awesome for me. Um, and then this year, uh, in 2020, I have three of the top four picks and uh, five of the top nine overall. So I'm, I'm real excited about it. Um, you know, th- this class is obviously loaded from the top to the bottom. And, you know, hopefully I get some return with these picks and I could turn my team around. Oh, my God. I mean, you said, okay, so you said three of the top four? Yeah, three of the top four, and then if we go all the way down to nine, I have five of those. God, I can't even imagine. See, at that point, it's like, okay, yeah, doing, doing like, work on the rookie class, you know, you know, find your studs, but you literally have every pick. Yeah, it, it's, for, it's, a, it's a nice le- uh, luxury to have for sure. And I honestly don't have to do much work because, like, you, like, you know the top guys coming into the class. Like, I, I mean, it's pretty, oh, yeah, like... Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, the thing is, is, like, what I was, like, super curious about is, like, after, like, the top four guys, like, you know, you got CD, uh, Judy, Jonathan Taylor, uh, you can argue Ruggs, or uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that second tier, like, that, that back half of the first round going the second... Um, I just, there's just so much talent. You don't want to miss on a guy that, you know, had a very talented college career but, like, is not going to produce as someone you can get later in the second or, you know, you miss uh, a guy in the first round because, you know, you believed in him but the guy right behind you just is blowing up. Like, what do you feel on, like, the second tier of guys that are draft eligible? No, I, I totally – I could not agree more. And that's why I think this draft is, like, it's the perfect kind of – like, if you're ever going to trade the – you know, 104 for maybe the 108, 110, and a mid-second. Like, this this is the year to do that. 
hundred percent because you know you might miss out on CD Lamb with that 104, but shoot, you're gonna get uh, you're gonna get Lavisca Chanel with that 108, Cam Akers with that 110, and you know Devonta Smith or the tight end one with that mid second. I mean that this is the draft class where you want to make those moves. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you've done to prepare just in the past several months for this draft already? See, a lot of it. What's tough for me is I don't actually, you know, I'm kind of required to because I'm like a, you know, quote-unquote ranker for Dynasty Football Factory. Right. But I'm actually really against rankings before the NFL draft. And that's just because rankings don't matter before the NFL draft because draft capital is so huge. I mean, I could rank, I could have ranked Kelvin Harmon over Marquise Brown this past year, but you're not, you're not taking a six-rounder over a first-rounder in a rookie draft. So what I do is, first off, I hit up the uh, Dynasty Nerds film room, shout out to the nerds like you did earlier, because they have tape on basically every single eligible player that you could imagine. And instead of ranking the players, I kind of put them in the tiers, but most importantly, forgetting about the tiers, all I want to do is become familiar with the players. Like, I just want to watch some, I want to watch some tape, I want to basically, and what I do specifically is, if I see a trait that kind of pops out to me, whether negative or positive, I'll you know write down the trait that I see, write down the time in the video that it occurs, and just as a kind of, okay, maybe I want to come back to this a couple months later. And I just kind of create an idea in my head for players. And then I allow the NFL draft and draft capital to actually craft my opinion. That takes my tiers and my notes on players and actually turns them into ranking. So right now, all I'm doing is becoming familiar with the class. I'm not even worried about ranking it. And wow. you put up a really, really good post. And I'm not even just gassing you up. I'm, I'm being honest. You put up a really good post on landing spot versus... That was like today or yesterday. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah whenever it was. It was landing spot versus talent, correct? And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I... Man, I, I want you to talk about that some more because I could sit here all day and, you know, argue for either side. I, I think it really depends on, on so many variables, but I want to hear your perspective and some of your thoughts on that, you know, landing spot versus talent. And, I mean, I, I also think we saw some of this in our rookie draft last year in our league, um, you know, the whole talent versus landing spot thing. And we had some guys fall like like A.J. Brown and, and D.K. Um, Marquise Brown, dude. Marquise Brown fell. All those guys went in round two. What about and, um, you know, granted, Ter- Terry McLaurin fell in the oh, fourth? Oh, yeah, Terry went to round four. Because of his landing spot, probably. Dwayne like, Haskins. I got burned by the landing spot. Like, yeah. I drafted Paris Campbell in the first round, and I, yeah. it, you know, I mean, that was pre-Andrew Luck's yeah. injury. But still, yeah. like landing spot was my biggest thing. But this is... You know, this is all our first real dynasty like league, so like obviously we're a little bit more well knowledge. But again, I'm sorry for taking away from you. Well, give us what you think. No, you're good. Yeah, see, I was actually when I was tweeting that yesterday, I was actually just kind of sitting in the doctor's office, and I, I don't know what happened, but I was just kind of thinking about landing spot, first talent, and you know the biggest risers in the draft versus the biggest fallers in the draft. And what kind of popped into my mind was, okay, based on rookie drafts. The guys that fell the furthest as a result of the NFL draft were probably Marquise Brown and A.J. Brown. They're like, those were the guys being downgraded the most based on landing spot. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, those guys... No, sorry, go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say, man, when I was watching that draft live and A.J. Brown got drafted by Tennessee, I was so bummed. I was literally <laughs> so <laughs> mad. <laughs> but no, well, but yeah. uh, no, I was too. But, so, yeah, then I was thinking about that, and I was just saying, okay, so those two guys were the ones that saw their draft stock hurt the most based on the landing spots. And then we saw Paris Campbell and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside be the two guys that rose the most because of their landing spot. So that kind of got me thinking. I was like, hold on, like, just kind of sit in the doctor's office here. I'm, I'm, I think I'm kind of on to something here. Just, and that's, if you were high on Marquise Brown and you were high on A.J. Brown before the NFL draft, and they got first-round draft capital and second-round draft capital, you should still be high on those guys because landing spot can change so much. And I understand that talent evaluation can be subjective from evaluator to evaluator, but that's what I was just talking about earlier is like a pillar for building a dynasty squad. Like build your own team, trust your own evaluation. And we saw that, you know, Marquise Brown was one of the best receivers in college football, AJ Brown, one of the best receivers in college football, both studs, talent does not change. There were studs coming in, there's studs now. But let's check out their landing spot. Like before the draft, most people thought, okay, Marcus Mariota, that's a terrible situation. No one wants anyone in Tennessee. Baltimore, Lamar Jackson, he's not a good passer. He doesn't even throw the football. We don't want anyone in Baltimore. All right, well, now their talent hasn't changed. They're both still studs. And then let's look at their landing spot to see how much it's changed in just a couple months. Well, we have Ryan Tannehill, who's been a top five quarterback in the NFL since. Insane. And like I said in the tweet, Lamar Jackson's the league MVP. And then we go looking guys like Paris Campbell and J.D.R. Sega Whiteside. Well, Andrew Luck retired. So that kind of put a damper on that landing spot. That just changed so fast. And J.D.R. Sega Whiteside, this landing spot, we thought that, again, I was huge on him coming up. I love the talent. So I missed on, it's looking like I might miss on the talent here. But his landing spot in Philadelphia should not have been a reason it maybe should have been a reason to move him up a couple spots, but I mean, there were people moving him up from wide receiver ten to wide receiver two. That just shouldn't happen. That's that's yeah. why I kind of say, when I talked about building a dynasty squad, the pillars. You know, one of my pillars wasn't, you know, draft players based on their landing spot. It is draft players that you put the work into and that you like. So trust the talent, trust the evaluation, and more often than not. I think, at least for wide receivers, for sure, that talent wins out. Let me let me ask you something real quick. So, and this is the floor is open. This is for everybody. So, you're on the clock at first overall pick in your dynasty rookie draft, right? Jonathan Taylor, the first guy I want to talk about today, he goes to the Kansas City Chiefs. Are you? Ooh. Are you? What are you doing? Is would you be comfortable with taking him first overall in the dynasty right. in a rookie draft? So, so he's going to the first round to the Chiefs. Correct. Mm. Yeah. He, he, yes. Let's say, let's say a late first round pick to the Kansas City Chiefs. I, I, I'll be honest, dude. I don't see him going round one to the Chiefs. I don't think they would invest. I'm, I'm just a, hypothetically yeah, okay. speaking. Right. I honestly don't think there's a running back in the first round. Yeah. yeah no, I'm just so hypothetically speaking for okay. for dynasty. Um, someone with that talent and a landing spot like that. Yeah, once again, would you be comfortable with taking him over everyone else in the draft? I think I would actually say if I have the 101, as long as DeAndre Swift goes in a similar draft range and lands in a not terrible spot or an average to above average spot, I 
think I would still take Swift, and then Taylor would be my second pick. He, and yep. no one could like no one could jump in. He is not falling further than second under literally any circumstance. No, I got you. Um, but yeah, no, there's just a few guys that stuck out to me that that I really wanted to talk about, and and you can mention whoever you want, but you know, like guys like. C.D. Lamb, J.K. Dobbins, T. Higgins, uh, you know, the big names, Najee Harris, DeAndre Swift, Jerry Judy. Um, but are there any players that really st- have stuck out to you so far? And I know this season is still going on. We're in championship weekend for fantasy and dynasty football. It's the biggest week. It's the week we've, we've been all waiting. We've all been waiting for. But but are there any players that you've been really keeping an eye on, really monitoring that you haven't um, talked about too much yet? Is there anyone that sticks out? Yeah, one one thing that's just just a huge bummer is that like my you know my guy basically heading in to college the uh, college football season this year was Oklahoma State wide receiver Tylen Wallace like that was my that was my dude. Yep. And he was, I mean, he was having a monster year, probably the front runner for the Bolitnikoff Award when he tore his ACL. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a huge blow. So he was definitely the guy I was keeping the closest tab on. But ever since he went down, I really. I really levitated to Cam Akers, FSU running back, and I know that's kind of you know not something I should be saying because I'm I'm a student at UF, and we just you know quick shout out to UF just whipped up on FSU and Cam Akers over in Gainesville. Quick shout out to my Gators, but um, gosh, that doesn't change the fact that first off he was the only player that I mean he looked even though it was a blowout game just watching him play live. I mean first off he's incredible. And he's a guy I've been following a lot. If I were to say there's one running back in this draft that isn't like considered an elite guy that literally has zero flaws, it's Cam Akers. Because, I mean, you think he's that good? You really? You, I do. You're big, I, that big of an advocate of him? I would. I mean, every single trait that I'm looking for in a running back, he has it. The contact balance is unreal. He. He's basically already the second best wide receiver on that team. <clears throat> solid, solid pass protection, and like he has everything you need. He has speed, he has contact balance, and he like oh my goodness, he has power. So when I watch him, I I see a Kareem Hunt with a little less contact balance, but way more power and long speed. So he's a guy that, as long as he lands on round two or three, like once he falls onto day three of the NFL draft, I'm like I'm a little less interested in players. But if he goes day two, either round two or round three, even if it's in a backup or committee job, he's the guy I'm definitely going to be investing in just because I trust the talent so much. Uh, yeah, that's actually pretty interesting. You bring him up because he was somebody that I had mentioned to Austin previously, uh, like right before the show, actually. And I, I just thought it was also kind of interesting that, you know, when he declared like a, a week or so ago, uh, whenever that was, you know, there was no hype around it. Nobody was talking about him. And I was just so like taken back by that. And, you know, I, I thought he was a great player, but I mean, there was just no hype around him declaring. And I mean, it's it's great to hear that you love him because I, I think he's pretty sick too, but I don't know, man. I'm definitely going to be looking forward to uh, seeing where he ends up for sure. And it's great. I I, li- I think I like him so much because he's not getting any hype because FSU is so bad. I mean, you see 
Jake, I mean, and again, I'm sorry to any, you know, maybe Seminole alum that could be listening, but I mean, J.K. Dobbins is getting so much hype as a potential, like, he was talked about as a Heisman candidate because Ohio State is, you know, likely going to, I mean, they're in college football playoff potential, right, right. you know, I mean, so talented. If I honestly think, I mean, if you put Cam Akers on that Ohio State squad and put J.K. Dobbins on Florida State, I think Cam Akers has a better year than J.K. Dobbins did this year, and J.K. Dobbins had an incredible year. I think that in college, I think people don't really want to, you know, look at the film, like look at the more advanced numbers on players that aren't, you know, putting up record-breaking seasons. And that's why I think Cam Akers is going to be off the radar until it really heats up, until draft season really heats up. Then all the analysts are going to be talking about him, and that's when he's going to get the attention he deserves. But right now, like if somehow I could be in a rookie draft that takes place in February instead of late April, <laughs> that's you know that's where Cam Akers is going to be like an absolute freaking steal. Yeah. So like, would you? Where would you rank? Like, I know you don't really like ranking people. Like, where would you rank him? And like the top running backs. I probably just off the top of my head, I probably have him at RB four. RB four. And that would be that's behind Swift, Taylor, probably ETN, just because I think he's going to go significantly higher in the NFL draft. But if I find that ETN and Acres both go on round two or both go in round three then I could easily see a scenario where Akers jumps up to one of my top three running backs. There's a few wide receivers I want to talk about briefly, and then we can move on. Um, have, you been, have you been following running backs more closely than wide receivers, or, or you just been you know following the top studs pretty evenly? I'd say I follow receivers closer just because – I'm just a bigger fan of the receiver position in general. I enjoy scouting it more. I think I'm better at scouting it. So I'd say I pay a little, you know, a little more attention to the receivers for sure. Yeah, it, oh, it's it's always interesting to see how, you know, running backs often, you know, a lot of times are very good right out of the gate. And you see rece- wide receivers value dip, you know, one, two years in. And then, it, you know, the, and that's the time to buy them, you know, be, because then a lot of times – they see a lot more success and volume, you know, year two, year three, year four. But um, what about LSU's, one of LSU's top wide receivers, Justin Jefferson, 6'3", 192, junior coming out. Um, what are your thoughts on him? See, I love – first off, I love how Jamar Chase and Jefferson kind of offset each other, be, offset each other just because I think – they complement each other so well, but I actually kind of view Jefferson as more of a, you know, maybe round three, early round four type of NFL prospect. And I've kind of put in an equivalent amount of work into him, meaning like, okay, I can see this guy as like a late day two, early day three kind of guy. I'm going to check out his film a little bit, maybe do some more work later in, um, you know, when February, March rolls around. But I actually saw a recent mock come out today or yesterday where Todd Mc had him going in the top 15. I saw that. Draft. Yeah, that was wild. So I was like, okay, I mean, this dude, this dude McShay is plugged in. Yep. Oh, I, yeah. need to, I, need, I need to do a little more work on Jefferson. But I, I really like what I've seen from him so far. I mean, just a, just a long frame. I would love to maybe see 
what he would be without, you know, the best quarterback in college football throwing an absurd 80% completion rate. <laughs> but he's a guy that, that I think the NFL draft is going to tell more than anything possibly will, just because I've heard such a wide array of where people think he's going to go in the NFL draft. Um, I actually have a question about the Alabama receivers. Um, lately, I've been seeing a lot of stuff about market share. Um, and, you know, I'm honestly not a firm believer that that's going to dictate how they perform in the NFL or whatever. But, you know, I, I watch film on guys like – I'm an Alabama fan, by the way. I watch, you know, all the games. I, I watch Judy, Ruggs, even Smith ball out week to week. And, dude, like Ruggs, I think, is unbelievably talented. He has legendary speed, and he has much better hands than people give him credit for. I, I you know – they have three receivers who are all being mocked in round one a lot of like in many cases and you know do you do you think market share in college is you know as much of an issue as as some people have been making out to be or do you think there's like a legitimate chance all these guys can succeed at the next level see i'm i'm a a pretty big analytics guy in addition to film i kind of just like utilize every tool i can but I've seen a lot of people say, okay, you know, Jerry Judy's not going to be a stud at the next level because his market share isn't. It's nonsense. You know, up. Exactly. See, I, I agree. And I'm, I'm usually, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of the whole breakout age. I, I kind of like that. It's no telltale thing, but I like considering it. But, I mean, you, you can't compare, you know, Jalen Rieger's dominator rating or market share at TCU or Corey Davis's market share at Western Michigan to a guy like Jerry Judy where he's playing with two other potential first-rounders, Jalen Waddle, and all the other talented potential first-round NFL players on that offense. The way I kind of see it is I, I don't, you, just, you want to scout each player individually. It's, it's hard to scout a player based on the players he's playing with because when you turn on the film and watch Judy, Honestly, like, what is there not to like? I know he's had a bit of a down year, had a few more drops than usual, but that has, this hasn't changed the fact that, okay, maybe a lower market share, but Judy's still my wide receiver one right now, and this has gotten some hate recently, but Ruggs is my wide receiver four. I mean, he's I love Ruggs, man. Right, right outside that top tier for me, and I know you're going to kind of, as an Alabama fan, I know you're going to kind of nod along as you hear this, but a lot of people see Ruggs as just a speed guy just like a Nicole Hardman run fast in a straight line but he is so much more than that I think he's one of the best contested catch receivers in this class but people don't see that because they only kind of oh he's just a straight line runner but that dude can go up and get the ball I mean oh absolutely oh I mean and then you have Devonta Smith who I've actually heard that is planning on going back to school I'm not a hundred percent sure about that report but if he does come out and he goes in the top two rounds, like most people expect, he's going to be a top seven, top eight receiver for me. So just to kind of answer your question, I do think the whole market share thing is a little overblown because mm-hmm. you have to take into account who they're playing with. And I know it's supposed to take that into account, but I, I'm skeptical when people purely look at Jerry Judy's market share and say, oh, he's not going to be good in the NFL next. I completely agree, man. You know who else was talked about a lot as being a one-trick pony and wouldn't succeed in the NFL? DK Metcalf, one of the top yeah, r- rookie wide receivers this season. You that's know, true. You know? 
So. All right, listen, Kyle, I'm super, super curious about how you feel about these two guys. These two guys are not are probably lower on your rankings of uh, wide receivers. But how do you feel about Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman from Minnesota? I mean, these two guys have all the talent in the world, and they're just obviously playing on, like, a lower-level team. I mean, the Minnesota had a great year and everything, but they just don't get the enough recognition, like you were saying before, like FSU and all that stuff. Um, they made a little splash in the Big Ten, but how do you feel about these guys? I mean, they're very talented. It's just they're not getting the, the love that we're all like they all deserve. Well, I mean, just to start off, I could I could not say enough amazing things about Rashad Bateman. I mean, that dude just I mean, starting off in his freshman year, he literally burst onto the scene, and when I see that, that's when I say, okay, like this is a guy that I'm going to. If I see Minnesota playing on a Saturday, I'm going to flip to this game and I'm going to keep an eye on Rashad Bateman because productive freshman wide receivers are the number one thing I'm looking for. Tyler Johnson, I love his ability as a technician, as a route runner. I kind of see a, a poor man's Keenan Allen with Tyler Johnson, and just based on my own kind of film analysis, I was like, okay, this guy has the potential to you know be a second-round NFL draft pick just because that that inside receiver with the ability to play outside, that technician, that receiver that's strong at the catch point that plays bigger than they actually are, like a Keenan Allen, like those are highly valued in the NFL. But again, I, I also know that I definitely do not know everything. So I listen to people that know more than me. And I've kind of been listening to what uh, Matt Miller's been saying, Bleacher Report draft guy, who, you know, I really enjoy his work. Oh, and man. He recently said that Tyler Johnson is a he's hearing is a late day three guy, like a six round, seven round guy. And ever since I heard that, I went back to the film and I was like, wait, am I missing something? Because I see two stud receivers here, Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson, who complement each other perfectly. Why is why is Bateman being touted as such a such a stud? you know, up-and-comer in the 2021 class, and then why is Tyler Johnson being mocked as a, you know, a six-round, seven-round guy? And he's another guy along with Justin Jefferson who the draft is going to reveal so much, but right now, I just, he's in my top ten receivers, and I I love his game because I see a Keenan Allen. That's amazing, dude. I love that you're saying all this because, like, I saw that same exact stat before uh, on Twitter that, like, they're projecting Tyler Johnson to be like basically a nobody and potentially undrafted, which is insane. Like, like he's has all the talent in the world. Like you said, if he's a poor man's Keenan Allen, I will take him on the Jets, like immediately. <laughs> when the Jets drafted that Bama receiver over Chris Godwin in the third round, I I forget his name. Do you, uh, can you remind me of his name? I, I it just was like the craziest third round pick I've ever seen. Um. Oh, oh, our Darius Stewart. Our Darius Stewart. Oh, oh, he was a big-time bust. Oh, my God. They took him over Chris Godwin, and I'm not even kidding you. I wanted to punch the TV. Like I'm a massive <laughs> Penn State fan, and I just knew that Godwin would translate into what he is today. But, like, it's just, like, if that same situation happens again where, like, people are undervaluing people, like, in, you know, the Bucks got a steal on Chris Godwin and on day, uh, day was it, day two? Yeah. Day two, and then I mean Tyler Johnson can do produce a lot. It makes no sense. Uh, I feel like I feel like people try to overcomplicate things too much. I mean, you have Tyler Johnson. You have this. A lot of people view him as like this boring receiver that you know. Ever I've seen, all he can do is you know 
just run routes. And I'm like, are you kidding me? What, what more do you want? I'll take a boring receiver on the Jets in the third round. Like, give me boring, please. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm sorry, Nick and Austin, but I just, I'm kind of jumping the gun here. But I just really, like, you know, this is my boy. And just in case he go, comes out in the draft, like, KJ, please tell me what you feel about KJ Hamler. This is, like, something I've always wanted to ask you. Like, how do you feel about him? <laughs> See, I've seen, like, there, there is probably no player that I've seen more mixed reviews on because I've seen some, I've seen people say, you know, this is like a, not a Tyreek Hill, but, but like a speedster player, Tavon Austin Plus, that you just want to get the ball. And I've heard people say that he's an undrafted guy that's going to be like a DeAnthony Thomas, too small for the league, gets knocked around. Wow. I see. I personally, I personally like what I've seen from him because I feel like that smaller. I think he's much more than a gadget player, but I'm not sure how the NFL is going to view him. I see that smaller player with the ability to go up and get it as a huge plus for NFL teams. Like, like that's a, that's an asset. Like, if I have a player that can, you know, catch a dump off and take it 95 yards and outrun the DBs, or you know, my five nine receiver. I think Hammer's five nine. My five nine receiver that can go up and moss, you know, a six one DB. That's the kind of guy I want on my team, maybe in the fifth round of the NFL draft. So he's he's the type of guy that you want to target in maybe like the third, fourth round of your rookie drafts, and watch his value skyrocket when people say, "Did that rookie, you know, just take that screen for a ninety two yard touchdown?" So he's kind of that guy for me. All right. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I love that. It's a perfect description. And hey, I hope. I mean, everyone knows about Penn State players because I'm such a Penn State homer, and uh, it's kind of like annoying because you know, obviously they like they like literally my friend would like would literally drafted Chris Godwin because I talked about him so much, and you probably wouldn't even know who he was, but um, yeah, no, I I would love to steal him in the third and fourth rounds. That's that that's if he becomes like a big boom, and you get him in the third fourth round, I mean that's massive for your dynasty team, massive. Oh yeah, I agree. It could be like like a Miko Harbin kind of thing, like that kind of role. I could totally see it. All right, uh, I, you know I'm gonna keep asking the questions, but uh, I got one uh, about Jonathan Taylor. You know, uh, this dude's been in the in college football, Wisconsin, for the last three years. He's just been getting fed the football. He has you know like 950 ish career touches there, which that you know that's a ton. Um, how much do you see this affecting his NFL career? Um, and just overall, I guess, like the length and how much wear and tear does this guy have and how much does that concern you? It's, it's a little worrisome to me, but I was kind of looking at the tweet. I saw guys like, I think I know the tweet you referred to or a tweet that kind of relates to this topic. There are, there are running backs that, okay, Alvin Kamara, Joe Mixon, barely received any touches in college, so those are the kind of guys that you probably want to invest in in Dynasty. But then they showed a list of the running backs that had received like a thousand touches in college or just an, an insane amount. And, I mean, it, there were uh, it's in there, but there, there's Hall of Famers. Like, this is just a list of Hall of Famers. I mean, there's, there's LT, there was, oh, I can't remember, I wish I could remember off the top of my head. Ricky Williams got to be up there too, no? Yeah, yeah, he must be. There are I honestly don't worry as much about the touches in college as usual as most people because if I'm drafting a running back in Dynasty, I don't expect more than two to three years out of them. 
Like if these people that draft running backs with the expectation that they're going to be an asset in seven to eight years, I mean that's that's one in a million for a running back. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm, so if yeah. I draft a guy like Jonathan Taylor, I'm not drafting him for his production in his eighth year in the NFL. I'm drafting for his first contract in the NFL years one through four, <coughs> like hopefully. So I'm, I'm really not worried about that because I think it's a little overblown. And that's crazy, man. Like that, everything you brought up, really well explained, and I agree with it. But like. Man, like, Saquon Barkley going into year three next year, yes, he still has a handful of of very good, productive seasons in his future. But, like, let's talk about someone like uh, Le'Veon Bell, who's 27 years old, going on 28. And it's like, remember two years ago, a year and a half ago, when he was, like, one of the top backs, no doubt, and... You know, we're sitting here now. It's like uh, I don't even know if I want to touch Le'Veon Bell anymore. Like, do I do I really want to go throw away a mid first for him? You know what I'm saying? Like, like it is crazy about just how how short running backs values are at absolute, you know, absolute peak value. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it like, really is crazy. And if, if you really want to get get sick or nauseous, I'll just mention the name David Johnson. My oh. <laughs> I mean. I mean, it, how could you literally go from, in 2016, one of the best running back seasons we have literally ever seen, like in the history of he, ever. He, he's had anything. two I mean, good years in his whole career. Um, yeah. Two two good seasons. Last year was RB9, and then the 2016 season was outrageous. That That's it. Yeah. That's David Johnson. Yeah, and that's it. Like, even like even in a subpar year RB9, like, he looked good behind a pretty terrible offensive line. Oh, yeah. This year, he looked, he's run, I mean, he's running with a piano on his back. I mean, I, I'm not sure if it's an injury that's holding him back, and next year he's going to come back strong, but running backs just fall off so quickly. That's why wide receivers are, like, that's that long-term investment. That's why I want yep. DJ Moore, because I could, I could look at you right now and say, DJ Moore is probably going to be a wide receiver, too, in four or five years. Like, I can say that with relative confidence because I have faith in him as a long-term asset. A.J. Brown, he's probably going to be a fantasy asset in five years. When he's 27, I'll bet on it. You know, your guy. But to bet <laughs> it's on one of my guys. Back, to, to bet on any running back being fantasy relevant in five years is it's just not a good bet. Running back fall off close too quickly. You know, being in a rebuild, um, coming into the draft um, – you know, I, I know you're probably not going for positions as much as BPA probably, but would you be targeting more receivers in a rebuild because of that long-term value, or would you be more so going for, you know, running backs uh, with even, like, with that short-lived career? See, what, what I kind of do is I realize that definitely in a dynasty rookie draft, that running back gain value much faster than wide receivers do but they also lose value much faster than wide receivers do because you I mean you have a guy like Josh Jacobs or even Devin Singletary that you know they produce right away they get a chance to produce right away and they produce right away and their value shoots up but then you have David David Montgomery who gets a chance to produce doesn't produce and then his value shoots down Mm. and I think he's still a valuable asset but then you look at the wide receiver position let's look at the I mean you look at the receivers that perform right away AJ Brown you know, I'm value absolutely skyrocket. Terry McLaurin absolutely skyrocket. But if wide receivers don't produce right away, like Nikhil Harry, they're not going to see a huge dip in value because wide receivers have much more insulation. That's why if I'm rebuilding and I'm kind of looking to wheel and deal, 
I want to draft running backs that I believe in, and then I want to flip them for underperforming wide receivers because wide receivers take longer to perform. Yep, yep. And that's exactly what I want to do. But also the risk that you're running is that running back, if he doesn't perform, he's going to lose a lot of value. Mm -hmm. But if you draft a wide receiver, they have much better value insulation, but it's also tougher for them to gain value. So that's why I like to... See, and this might kind of sound like a cop-out answer, but that's why I just go best player available in rookie drafts if I'm rebuilding. If I'm contending and, you know, I want to go for the chip, then... I feel like it's got to be running backs, yeah. ...receiver to give me the more immediate production. But if I'm rebuilding, I'm I'm going best player available because if I have faith in a running back and he performs right away, I'm going to flip him. If I have faith in a receiver and I'm going to draft him, I kind of see that being a long-term investment. So that's kind of where, that's kind of where I'm thinking on that. I just best player available if I'm rebuilding. Awesome, man. Yeah, no, that's a really interesting perspective, and, and I love that. Uh, lastly, we're going to talk about some of our favorite guys moving forward, some breakout candidates and bounce back years, and then we'll get out of here. You mentioned him earlier, Kyle, and and I want to talk about him some more. Kareem Hunt, you know. Oh, man. This guy, let's not forget, Kareem Hunt came into the league. He's 24 right now. He had 3,100 total yards in his first 20, 25 games. That is, like, and not only that, he he found the end zone an absurd amount of time. Dude, in year two, Kareem Hunt had 14 total touchdowns, even with the suspension. Yeah, and what did he play? 10 games? 10 games. Yeah, 10 games. Um, but I really think Kareem Hunt's going to be on a different roster next year. I've, I've mentioned this. I'm going to reiterate it again, but I mentioned this in previous episodes the Detroit Lions were so unbelievably close of getting Kareem Hunt, um, but it fell through because Cleveland, you know, Cleveland beat them to it. But it's just that's something interesting, you know. It, it tells you a little bit about h- how much the Lions truly believe in Carrion Johnson. And, and I still to this day think that, you know, Carrion is talented. I think that, of course, he's the guy there right now. But I'm just saying, you know, like that says a lot about what Detroit thinks. And uh, But to get back on track, I think Kareem Hunt is someone that you should be heavily targeting now, and I wouldn't even be afraid to, uh, you know, pay the price either. I, I truly believe in him. 24 years old, he's he's proven. I think he's got his head on his shoulders. I, I, I think he's got a better head on his shoulders now. I just think Kareem Hunt is only going to go up from here. Even in the six games he's played this year, he hasn't seen more than 12 targets, or 12 touches, rather. Um and he's produced double-digit fantasy points every single week. And he's caught the ball 30 out of 36 times, which is pretty damn good yeah. for playing six games, I think. He shows he can catch the ball. 30 catches in six games? 30 so, catches in yeah, six games on game. 36 targets, yeah. Five a game. He, he can catch the ball. He led the NFL in rushing as a rookie. He's young. He, he'll be on another team next year, I think, for sure. And he's a guy that, you know, like you mentioned earlier, I would be totally going after. Could you imagine if he ended up in Tampa Bay, like Los Angeles, Houston, Kansas City? Like, you know, you got to be a pretty big Kareem Hunt advocate, huh? It's an, it's an investment. But the way I kind of view it as, okay, so let's say I go out there and try to trade for Kareem Hunt. I'm paying a pretty hefty price, but nothing crazy. And let's even say Cleveland resigned as a restricted free agent. I'm getting an awesome PPR. I mean, he's putting up, he's giving you 12 points a game. He's giving you 13 points a game in PPR. He's giving those James White numbers. And Cleveland decides to (laughs) not re 
re-sign him or they decide to trade him and he does go to Tampa Bay, okay, I paid, you know, maybe a late first for a guy who has a floor of 12, 13, maybe 11 PPR points a game and a guy who has a ceiling who could literally jump into the top five to seven dynasty running backs with one trade or one offseason season. Yeah, man, 100%. Hey, did you have a list of guys that you wanted to talk about for this final segment? Are there is there anyone that you have in mind? Yeah, just guys that I really expect to bounce back. I mean, I can't even say Joe Mixon's name enough here because... Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. That's a given, dude. The season. After the slow start of the season, he's someone that I said, okay, this guy's 23 years old. This guy's going to get Joe Burrow next year. He's going to get Jonah Williams back. They're going to continue to address the offensive line by this guy because he's a top-five running back talent in the league. And then in the past few weeks, he's actually been a top-five running back talent in the league in terms of talent and fantasy production. I mean, Bill Belichick just came out this week and said he was the best running back in the NFL. I think, I don't, I'm not sure about that, but I, I think he definitely has top three potential next year with an improved O-line and a much better offense, hopefully, under Burrow. And, you know, as I said earlier, as we kind of talked about, I'm a Jets fan, and it's going to seem like I'm a Bengals fan, but I'm going to go ahead and talk about Tyler Boyd here because I love him as a buy too. I want him on every single Dynasty roster because, I mean, he's, he's producing, I would say, solid, inconsistent, but solid PPR numbers with Andy Dalton and whatever mix of quarterbacks they have going on there. So maybe next year, insert the best quarterback in college football, Mr. You know, 80% completion rate Joe Burrow, who loves targeting guys over the middle like Tyler Boyd. I mean, if I'm, if I'm in a full PPR league there, I'm not sure if I could name 20 receivers that I want more than Boyd in Dynasty, which is, you know, you probably have to pay, you know, wide receiver 30 prices to get him. But that's a price I'm willing to pay for a guy that I think is going to take a massive leap next year. And I, just to kind of talk about these two, kind of put, kind of putting a cap on it, there was a bold prediction tweet going around Twitter the other day that you know said quote this tweet with your boldest bold prediction for the 2020 season and I quoted it saying that you know the return of Jonah Williams that Joe Burrow is going to be huge for this Bengals offense Joe Mixon is going to finish 2020 as the overall running back one and Tyler Boyd is going to be a top 12 wide receiver one so that was kind of my bold prediction and I'm going to stick to that because I think this Bengals offense is going to bounce back big time and Boyd is young, you know, he's proven, he's got over a 1,000-yard season, under all of that under his belt. Um, he's, man, that would be fun to watch him at Joe Burrow. That would be so much fun. I'm, I'm rooting so hard for Burrow, wherever he goes, man. I, I, I watch his interview. You can't not love the guy, dude. I watch his interview after winning the Heisman, and, man, I want to break down. Like, I just, how can you not root for that kid, you know? He's just awesome. No, he's Oh yeah, and gosh, he's he's so awesome, and oh my, he's so good. He's gonna he's gonna, I mean, he's so mobile too. I mean, just watching the SEC championship against Georgia, I mean, he was having these athletic linebackers, these defensive linemen that are gonna go in the first round. He was making them look silly and running for twenty yards. I mean, he is. I, I saw a lot, a lot of Tony Romo. I think he's gonna be really really good. Uh, I had a question. Uh, so you view like Joe Mixon as you know he's gonna be like your number one back next year. Um, so I mean, I fortunately have Barkley and Zeke both on my team. Would you consider trading one of them? That's you know with the big name for Joe Mi- Joe Mixon and you know some draft capital 
and just making that like very savvy move before the season starts? See, it, I wouldn't. I don't have Joe Mixon as my RB one in twenty twenty. He's probably closer to RB four, but I could easily see that RB one being in his range of outcomes. And while I'm, I'm not probably not giving up on Saquon for Joe Mixon because I absolutely love Saquon. I think moving on from Zeke is the savvy move here. I honestly think by this time next year, Zeke owners are going to wish they traded Zeke for Mixon straight up. Owners are going to wish they could trade Zeke and a second round pick for Mixon this time next year. I know that's a little spicy. But Holy, you know what I'm, that is a hot kinda, take. That's kind of what I'm feeling. That's what I'm feeling. Dude, so I, I honestly think if oh you can move on from Zeke for Mixon and, and I don't think it's crazy to think you could get a late first right now. If you could do that, oh my god, I could. I mean, I wouldn't do that. I couldn't do that fast enough. Man, this is music to my ears. I <laughs> I am the biggest Joe Mixon truther in the entire world. He is like my favorite player in the league right now, and like I'm a big Giants fan, dude. I love Joe Mixon. I I my hot take of the year was he was gonna be a top five running back this year, and obviously that hasn't panned out. But man. I I really hope that's the case, dude. I love Joe Mixon. Yeah, man. No, couldn't could not agree more. Uh, so I I have a guy that um, it's not really like a, a sneaky or like flashy buy right now, um, but a guy that I that's on my radar that I think um, is is being a little undervalued right now is Leonard Fournette. Um, I know we talked about him a little earlier, but he's he's running back seven right now in PPR. He's 24 years old. The offense is trending up with Minshew, and obviously DJ Chark has took tremendous steps this year. Um, you know, he's caught 73 balls on 94 targets this year alone, and the season's obviously not even over yet. This dude can easily get over 100 targets this year. Uh, he, he only has three touchdowns this year, but again, that's something, in my opinion, that will shoot up. Um, you know, and I, and I know he was banged up last year with some ankle problems and whatnot, and even his rookie year, he was he was hurt on and off the field a little bit. But, you know, there's been no talk about his ankle this year, and I really see, um, you know, I, I see a lot of potential here for him to even hop into that elite category um, moving forward. But, again, uh, I feel like this is kind of a risk because of the injury history, obviously. But, hey, man, I mean, the volume's there for him, and – the way I look at it is he's he's young and I see positive touchdowns coming his way. So no, I see. Uh, see, these you guys we're on we're on the same page on all these players. I, I love love that take and everything you mentioned there. Hundred percent. Uh, how do you feel about Slayton from the Giants? I'm curious Stop, because dude. no, he's mine. You can't no, talk seriously. About no, I want to hear this because. They have Evan Ingram. They have a chef. They have Golden Tate. Uh, they might get it received in the draft. I mean, I, they're obviously going to take Chase Young, but I, who knows? Like in the second round, like how do you feel about Slayton going forward? See, I I really like what I've seen from him, but the only thing that draft capital worries me a little bit. But I think that's overcome by what we've seen from him so far this season. So he's not a buy for me right now. He's a buy for me in the offseason when people are saying, oh, you know, the Giants are going to spend a first-round, second-round pick on a wide receiver. I just think he's a tough buy right now, but I do really like him long-term, 100%. I put out a real hot take that it's probably my hottest take I've ever put out. I think Darius Slayton goes over 1,000 yards next year. Um, I grabbed him off of waivers 
probably in maybe July. Um, I did some research on him. I actually liked his landing spot, even though Eli Manning was a starting quarterback at the time. Um, I had a weird feeling OBJ was – there's a lot of speculation about him departing. And, you know, now that he is gone, I don't – man, I, I don't think any giant wide receiver is the answer there. I, I legitimately believe Evan Ingram and Darius Slayton are the two – of course, Saquon's going to get his too, but – Oh, but, he's going to get a lot of But at the end of the day, if, if you got a quarterback thrown for 4,000-plus yards, let's say hopefully Daniel Jones does that next year, you know. Let us pray. Some, somebody's got to get, get those targets and, and yards. So I, I really like Darius Slayton moving forward. But lastly, final guy I want to talk about is who I drafted third overall in my Dynasty rookie draft is Miles Sanders. Is, is it too much of a stretch to say that Miles Sanders – could be an RB1, you know, a top 12 back next season. He's got over 1,100 yards this season, um, you know, including rushing, receiving, just total yards. I think Philly's really starting to trust him more. They're giving him more volume, more targets, more reps. Um, now that Jordan Howard is, is banged up and out for a few games. I, I know Boston Scott just uh, – isn't that his name? Bo- Boston yeah, yeah. Scott. I know Boston <laughs> yep. Scott just flashed recently, but – I think that Philly is starting to trust Miles Sanders more. I, I just think that moving forward, you know, you know his ADP is obviously going to skyrocket, but um, I just like a lot of what I've seen from him. I like, I loved him coming out of Penn State. I know I loved him too, but, but yeah, that's one guy I can't stress enough, man. I, I, I really think he, he has all the potential to, to be a top twelve back next year. I'm not saying he's going to, but if he was like fringe, like ten, twelve. I wouldn't be too shocked. But, but yeah, I agree because I mean what what we've seen from him lately is I mean we've seen we've seen the RB one potential. So I I totally agree because he could definitely be that running back that kind of takes that sort of Joe Mixon esque step forward from you know rookie year to sophomore year where they kind of put everything together. Yeah, man. No, hundred percent. Hey guys, once again, thanks so much for hanging out. Show us some love. Check out at DynastyFF underscore Kyle M. We really appreciate having you, man. You were a phenomenal guest. You were first guest ever, and yeah. it was a pleasure to meet you. I'm honored. P- pleasure to talk to you. Awesome um, to pick your brain, dude. Yeah, thank yeah, you so much. Today, today was awesome. Check out at Austin Football, at Nick Football, at Dynasty Clayton, and at the Dynasty Polls. Every week, we've got daily content. We always want to hear your feedback. And hey, we actually care about your fantasy team, so fire away your questions at us. Until next time, peace.